you can go to Matthew, and in my Bible, I went back about 40, 40 pages. And that's where you're going to find it, just after Micah. We're going to talk about the character of God tonight. And more than one thing in his character and among his attributes. I tell you what, I love to preach on heaven. Uh, we're going there one day by the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord. I, I love to talk about the Lord's mercy and his grace. Uh, there's, there's more to God than that. And it may be that Christians aren't doing the greatest job in this day and time uh, with others because... That might be the only side of God that that many are hearing and uh, coming to know about. But there is a well-rounded God and creator that we have. And there are many attributes. And so what we have here is the minor prophet Nahum. And he is he is ministering to the people of a well-known group that you would know of the Ninevites. When we think of the Ninevites, we think of Jonah. And it might have been against his will, but God carried out his will through Jonah. And he preached to Nineveh. And it was the greatest revival that you could imagine. And many souls were saved. And, and so we think of that. And we think of the great thing that has taken place. They turned from their wicked ways. And the Lord saved them. But here we have a later generation of Ninevites that Nahum is leading, has a message for. And they are rejecting the Lord. They are worshiping idols. They are putting things above God as more important, giving more of their time to other things. They have turned back to wickedness. So we have a short one verse introduction in Nahum chapter one, verse one. And then he gets right to the point with a backsliding Nineveh who has turned from the Lord. And the first word we see in the second verse is God. These Ninevites have not truly come to know who God is. It, it only helps for us to know everything we can about God from every angle and in every way. They have never come to know the true God. So the prophet is going to immediately help them out in this message to them. And he speaks of God's character. And he tells them fully what kind of God our God is. They've heard about the mercy of God, don't you know, in that great revival that that story went on and on. And what a wonderful story it was of all the souls being saved and God not overthrowing the city and Nineveh repented and they were washed of their sins. But here he reveals more of the character of God. They've heard of the mercy, but he gets right into the passion of God. If you see in chapter 1 and verse 2, it says God is jealous. That's still the character of God today. He's jealous. 
It's wrong for you and I to be jealous. That's a sin. But it's not with God. I remember a talk show host. And they had someone on their show. And they requested that this guest sing their favorite hymn. And the hymn was, All to Jesus I Surrender. And then a little time went on. And this talk show host was in church. And they heard, God is jealous. And they said it just didn't set well with them. I don't know how. It's right there in God's word. But it didn't set well. And this talk show host became more famous and more popular with more riches. And they are recorded now to this day as saying, Jesus can't be the only way to God. There are many ways to God. And all that spiraled downward from hearing that God is jealous. God being jealous is simply an expression of his desire for relationship with those who he has created. People choose to put other things before God. People give more time and attention to other things than ways that we share in relationship with God, whether it be through prayer or in his word or being in his house, God is put below things in people's lives. And God resents the ridicule against himself and against his word and the rejection of his love and his sacrifice that he's provided for people. He is worthy of having first place in everyone's life. It's in our best interest that he have first place, that we put all of our strategies, all of our agendas aside and let him lead and let him have every bit of us. He's worthy of that. He's entitled to demand it. And he does. He accepts nothing less than first place. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. If we could only trust his process. If, if Nineveh in that day would only look to the Lord like the past generation did. God is jealous. He's jealous for the highest reverence to be paid to him and him only. And he does not compete with rivals. He does not compete with the other things that we embrace in our lives. He has a holy jealousy and it's righteous and it's just and he desires relationship with his people. So Nahum tells them about the passion of God. But in verse two, we also see God's justice. It not only says God is jealous, but it says the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. People have entertained their own thoughts of standing before a God one day whose emotions will break down when someone he created will stand before him. 
who will excuse sin because of some suffering or uh, a situation in someone's life. Some dream up that God will not have the fortitude to eternally punish for sin. But he will absolutely do that. Nahum speaks of God's vengeance four times here in different ways in this one verse. And there's great significance in that. God presses the envelope on something sometimes to make great clarity in what is coming across. What he wants to be made known in his word. And God is justice. God loves justice. God's justice is not driven by his emotions. His justice is not flexible. It's fair, it's perfect, and it's impartial justice. And he is furious in revenge. In other words, God has a hot displeasure toward the rejection of him as God. Of rejection of his son. But where our anger can become Lord over us. God always has control of his anger. It never becomes Lord over him. His anger never controls him. His anger is not like our anger. When we look at God taking revenge. It wouldn't be like. The human being taking revenge. God is different than we are. His anger never controls him. You know uncontrolled anger. Within people. Lead people to say. Things they don't mean. And they leads them to say things they're going to do. That they never carry out. But God means everything that he says. And he will do everything that he says. God does not bluff, and he cannot lie. God is a God of love and a God of mercy, God of grace. He's also a God who loves justice, and he's promised justice, and he has the backbone to carry out justice. His justice is righteous. Nahum not only tells Nineveh of God's passion, he is jealous, and also God's justice but then he goes into God's patience. And we see in verse 3 that the Lord is slow to anger. You know, we make a distinction in the way that God dealt with people under the Old Testament law. And the way he deals with people under New Testament grace. And we're right to do so. There is a difference and there is a distinction. But God has always been patient. Look at his justice. And look at his passion for justice. Look at his passion for a relationship. And then we can look at his patience. That he has toward us. And he's always had it. We look in the Psalms in 103 and verse 8. And it says the Lord is merciful and gracious. And slow to anger. And plenteous in mercy. Don't you know that we have experienced that? It's usually when we look back. That's when it is for me. But I see that the Lord is slow to anger. And we can all thank him for it. Thank him that his, 
His justice and his anger, his revenge, it's, it's not like ours. And it's in holiness. There's a difference in God's revenge and man's revenge. God is not a coiled up rattlesnake ready to strike us. That's not, that's not our God. That's not his character. He is slow to anger, which... We continue to see in the 103rd Psalm, it goes on to say that he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. This generation of Ninevites, they seem to be trying to abuse the mercy that God has shown through Jonah to past generations. You know, many today are only interested in hearing about the mercy of God, maybe his love and his grace. And that's a real dangerous thing. It's really dangerous to be imbalanced. You go to talk about these characteristics of God and, and professing Christians will shut it down and they don't, they don't want to hear it. But this is the person and the personality, the character and the attributes of our God. I want to know everything about the one who loved me and died for me and saved me. And there's more for us to know. And it's dangerous to be lopsided with God. It's good to know everything we can about God. There's more than mercy in his character. Thank God for his patience. God has patience for us. He's slow to anger. But God has power. We see also in verse 3, God's power. He's slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. God has ability and he has a means to produce. The Lord is the only one with the true ultimate means of judging a life. And God Gives judgment on a life. And he knows how to do it and he will. In Second Peter in 2 and 9. It says the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. He knows who are his. And he knows who are not his. He's great in power. And he will not acquit the wicked. The wicked. When we look at the wicked in the Bible, we might think about a, a certain level of person in this world. We might think about someone who does certain things that we would call really bad. The wicked are simply the unjustified. The wicked are simply those who are unsaved. Every lost person Falls under that category. We fell under that category before we were saved. And the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. The wicked shall be turned into hell. The Lord has power to judge for eternity. And he will judge all. He's going to do it. And it will be perfect. And it will be righteous. And it will be without error. He is definitely going to be judged one day. He's going to judge lies. But I tell you what, there's something else he prefers to do. 
And Isaiah the prophet talked about it in, in Isaiah in chapter 55 in verse 7. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's what God wants to do. And he has power to do that. And he's just to do that. Two chapters just before what I just read from Isaiah. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Wow, God has power. He has power to judge and he's going to. And he also has power to save. And that's what he would rather do. Nahum goes to expound a little more on God's majestic rule as we continue in verse 3. It says, the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry. And drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth. And Carmel and the flowers of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him. And the hills melt. And the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Nahum continues to enlarge the character of God. And his power that he has over nature. He parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel to cross. To escape Egypt. And he made dry land so that they could come across. For entrance into the promised land through the Jordan River. God's majestic rule. He rebukes the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And the disciples said, What matter of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Isn't it good to look into the power, to look into the character, the fullness of our God and who he is? If his majestic rule is in the air... If, if you see it in the weather, how much more can he do in our lives? Look at the power of God and all he rules and all he has his hands on. The proof of God's majestic rule, it is in the air. We see in verse 5 that he controls the earthquakes. Statistics have said... That up to 1959, there were 24 major earthquakes that were reported. And then from 1960 to 94, just in that period of time, it went from 24 to 77. And we're at some million now. God is manifesting his majestic rule. And he's showing his power. 
I don't know about you, but about eight or nine years ago, we had suffered a drought. And then all the, these trees, they just fell all over the place, dead, dried up and dead. And it just made me think about the wonderful balance God gives in watering the earth. And all he does in the weather. He is majestic in his rule. God's wrath. We see God's wrath that Nahum tells them about in verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire. And the rocks are thrown down by him. When I hear the talk of someone, whether it be someone becoming the richest man in the world, or whether it be just someone that is, that is so insanely popular among people, I just... I'm on Google and the front page stories come up. And when I see a person that I'm hearing about, I click on them. And when it gets down to their religion or spiritual beliefs, it's just unbelievable. One of the richest men in the world. And they, and they said, what are your thoughts on God? And they said, well, when I almost died of malaria, I didn't even bother to pray. God's wrath. Who can stand before his indignation? There's no amount of status and there's no amount of cash that's going to allow anyone to stand before the wrath of God. It's futile to resist God and it is foolish to challenge God. We don't even we don't even have to question him. He doeth all things well. Nineveh once experienced God's slow to anger, but we're getting in another generation and they're getting to a breaking point with God's patience. He is slow to anger, but there is a warning here for them and there is a deadline that people can cross with God. We have no idea what that is, but God does. And no one is going to be able to stand before his indignation. But I tell you something else in another sense. And I love ending on such a note as this. And in verse 7, we're going to look at the Lord's goodness. The Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him, while all the manifestations that are going to be in our life, all of the things that are going to be included in our walk when we're walking, trusting him. Thank the Lord we trusted him and he saved us from our sins. Who can stand before his indignation? Well, actually, there is someone who can. Those who stand in Christ. Those who have received Christ, which has appeased the wrath of God. Those who trust in the Lord. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. 
And he knoweth them that trust in him. He knows who his children are. But how about our daily walk? How about daily you and I trusting the Lord? Nineveh is not doing it. Who can stand before his indignation? The, the goodness of human beings are not going to be winked at in the slightest approval from God at all. It's only, only going to be those who know Christ in a personal relationship. The only place of protection that there is, is in Jesus Christ. He's protection as Lord and Savior. He is the satisfaction of God. You and I will not do that. We will not do what Christ did. And we find our protection in him. Nineveh came to a place in a great revival of repenting. And being willing to turn from their sins. And being saved by the Lord. And celebrating and rejoicing in the mercy of God. As he brought about a great revival. And save them. Look at the generation now. And how Nahum is addressing them. And it just makes me think of a few things. As we start to close. You know the Bible says that David served his generation. And then he fell on sleep. We've got a lot going on in our generation. And many souls to see saved. But how about the generations to come? What we do now. Is going to be used by God. For a generation to come. And we should desire this. We need to teach our children to serve and to praise the Lord. Families praying together. And learning and knowing Everything that we can about God. Doing everything we can in our generation to help the next. Something that has blessed my heart in this church. I have seen for years is a care for what's going to go on. Once God takes some of, you know, a generation home to heaven. A care for the church. A care for the souls and the members in the future. We need to teach our children and the next generation about the Lord and everything about him. We need to share all the character of God and not treat him as a buffet. And to pick and to choose what we share or what we know about him in his word. We are to be doing everything in this generation we can for God to be glorified now and also in the next generation. A verse that came to my mind as we have looked at this tonight is Jeremiah in chapter 26 and verse 2. And it says, thus saith the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house. And speak unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. And all the words that I command thee to speak unto them, diminish not a word. We can't go wrong being faithful 
with all of God's word and knowing all that we can about the Lord. You know, the Bible says the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And it's wonderful to talk about the love of God and the love that Christ had for us and that he stood in our place, that he took our sins upon him and he died for us. That's love. That, that's the greatest love any of us could ever know. And I, I love talking to people about that. What we also need to share is God's deadline, God's justice, God's judgment and God's wrath. There is hell for the one who doesn't trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is eternal punishment outside of the gospel, outside of Jesus Christ and the cross at Calvary and the love of God and receiving Him and trusting in Jesus. The only thing outside of that is eternal punishment. It's punishment for eternity outside of Christ. And so Christ loves people and Christ is good to us and He blesses those He saves. The world needs to understand that because of sin, there is judgment and there's the wrath of God and there's hell for eternity. We don't want to be a lopsided Christian. How dangerous that would be. And I don't know why the Lord laid this on my heart tonight. I don't know what the Lord might have you to do, but we're going to have a time of invitation and this is just your time with God. Maybe you're, maybe you're thinking about that soul nearest hell that needs to know about Jesus and you want to pray for them. Maybe it makes us think as, as families and everything that we're to do in our generation for the Lord concerning the next generation. Let us be faithful to him, obey him tonight, and do we what he would have us to do. Let us bow in prayer. Father God in heaven, Lord, we come before your greatness tonight. We come before your holiness. We thank you for your almighty power, Lord. We think about what Paul says and that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of you unto salvation to everyone who believed. We thank you for your power to save, Lord. We thank you for knowing about you and your word and your justice and your judgment that is coming. You have power to judge and you're going to do that also, Lord. I thank you for the the different aspects of, of who you are and everything that we can know about you. Lord, I thank you for the, the mightiness of, of, of you and your majestic rule, Lord. And, and, and the weather and everything that we see in nature that you control. You're almighty. You're powerful, dear God. And you would look upon a sinner such as us and think of us, Lord, and provide the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins that we might become your children and that you love us, that you bless us, that you take us through this life and you can provide, you will provide every need that we have if we will look to you. Lord, let us see ourselves as so weak when we see you as so mighty. Let us thank you tonight. Let us be grateful to you, Lord. 
you're slow to anger. And in your patience, you love us and you're teaching us to walk with you. Thank you for that, Lord. Let us strip ourselves of our own thoughts, of our own agendas, of how we're going to make it here and there. And may we give all to you tonight, Lord. Dear God, forgive us. Forgive us for looking at you in just one small way. One, one piece of who you are instead of all of you. We thank you for your greatness and your goodness, Lord. May we love and praise you tonight. May there be praise in our hearts in a time of invitation that we would just be in awe of you tonight, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may stand. Page 544 in your regular hymn books. <laughs> 